I had a chance to meet. My name's Joe, and uh, I am a joy to be one of the pastors here at Central City Church. Um, and our first Sunday in a new space, uh, excited to be here. Our kids are uh, securely tucked away in their own area, and I've gotten uh, some pretty good feedback on that. Um, and so uh, maybe sometime, if you don't have a kid, we can give you a tour of it. Um, I will say that uh, naps are probably far less likely in this space. I don't know if you noticed the chairs aren't quite as comfortable, uh, but there are a lot of other benefits. Um, they don't lounge, and they're, they're not really made of leather, uh, so... Uh, you just have to pay attention, I guess. My apologies ahead of time. Um, but when you arrived, you should have received an update and a Connect card. If you're a guest with us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Um, in fact, uh, we're so excited you're here. We have a, a gift for you that we'd love to, to give to you. Um, if you stop by our information table, we have a Tumblr, and it has information about our church and uh, a free drink of coffee at Stoff's. And so we'd love to get that to you. And then also, we just invite you uh, during the service, uh, on the back of the update, uh, on the back of the Connect card, there's room to take some, uh, on the back of the update, there's room to take notes. And on the Connect card, if there's anything you want to follow up with, anything you want more information on, something that you hear that raises a question, just mark it. And you can put the Connect card in the Dropbox, which you can see over by the door uh, where it says Dropbox. So very simple. Uh, a couple announcements before we get into the message. First, um, we are going to be doing uh, a City Kids, uh, uh, sorry, we're doing a first birthday um, on July uh, 29th from noon to 4. This is part of our work around infant mortality. So our church is going to be hosting a birthday party for 100 kids um, in, on the west side of Columbus, kids often who wouldn't get a birthday party um, for themselves. And not only that, but we're working with uh, dozens of different vendors where they can, the parents can connect with uh, resources that can help them in regards to taking care of their family, et cetera. So this is going to be a really fun event. It's going to be at Mount Carmel College of Nursing. I can't talk today. I was singing too loud. Um, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. In fact, each kid, the 100 who register, will be able to build a bear. That'll be their present. And there's going to be probably, uh, we're still working on the bounce house. And um, we're going to be singing happy birthday to all of them. It's a really fun event. There's a lot of opportunities to serve at Central City. This is probably one of them going to be one of the most fun uh, opportunities to serve. So there is a way to sign up. You can do that on the website. Um, we also are announcing we have a position open for City Kids team leader. Uh, we are accepting applications for that. So if you know someone who wants to lead our City Kids ministry that happens in the uh, front of the building there, um, we would love for you to submit an application. And one other thing, if you are impacted by Central City and you want to uh, be able to us for, for us to be able to continue the ministry here, uh, we encourage you to give. It's really easy. You can do that online by going to centralcity.co slash give, or you can text any amount to the number on the screen, 84321, or you can put it in the same Dropbox as your Connect card. We don't take up an offering during the service, um, but we do encourage you to give, and we're so grateful for those who've committed to that. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the teaching. God, um, as we come before you, um, we know that you are, in fact, here in our midst. Lord, as we open scripture and as we continue to reflect on what it is you would have us do as a church, we ask that you would prick our hearts and our minds and challenge us, um, that there might be something I say, even in an imperfect way, that would um, be needed to hear today by someone in this room, and that you would just transform my words, that my the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. Um, you are a rock and our redeemer in your name. Amen. Uh, friends, we're halfway through a series called Focus. Uh, recently, I went to the eye doctor 
Uh, and uh, if you've been to one, then you know how this works. You, you sit and uh, they put you on a chair and then you go, this apparatus gets in front of you and uh, um, you, they flip through all these lenses, right? And so that you can find the lens that's going to help you see as clearly as possible. I was really reminded that like the smallest adjustment was the difference between seeing in a fog and being able to see really clearly. And as I, we were planning to move to this space, we began to think, what are some of those minor adjustments we can make as a community, as individuals, that could really push us and be able to see what God would have us do as a church? And so we've been talking through a number of different prescriptions that will help us see God's will for our lives. They include things like transparency. A couple weeks ago, we talked about in our culture, we have a tendency to hide. We don't want people to see who we really are out of fear that they might not accept us. And so here at Central City, we want to be a place where you can show up and let yourself be seen. You can show up and, and, and not afraid to bring who you are, whatever that looks like. And then we talked about compassion. Uh, Alyssa talked about how in our world, there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of hurt. And we want to respond the way Jesus responded. The way Jesus responded when he saw suffering was with compassion. And compassion is this sense that you allow yourself to kind of get hit in the gut because of someone else's pain. And so we want to be a church that's willing to love people beyond what reason would allow. That we would be loving people through compassion and what's reasonable. So the last week then we talked about excellence. We talked about how when we serve, uh, whether it's on Sunday morning or during the week, we want to be a church that just brings our best. You know, like we, we, it's not to impress anyone. It's not to win them over. It's not to show off, but it's out of this intense desire that our service is an act of worship. And so we want to bring our best. And so we're going to talk about the fourth of six adjustments, um, six prescriptions. And today we're going to talk about evangelism. Now, Evangelism isn't a word that you'll find in Scripture, but its parent word is um, evangelist, which is a sense of way of saying that evangelism isn't something you do, it's something you are. It's who you are. Evangelist uh, is in the Scriptures, and it's a compound word for messenger and good. And it doesn't mean so much that uh, you, some, somebody's a good messenger, although that probably helps. It's more about they are a messenger with good news. It's someone who brings good news. It was originally used to describe people who would come into a, a town. This is before mass communication and social media, because lots of good news is shared in that uh, outlet. Um, but before that, people would come into a town and, and declare this sense of like we, a win of a battle or the birth of a king, you know, like these, these big celebratory announcements. Someone would come in and make that, and they would be an evangelist. So today it would be described, maybe used to describe someone like this. Imagine that you're an, an avid uh, a football fan or a sports fan of some sort, but for some unexplained reason, and I'm sure this would never happen, you have to sit in an important meeting during the game. And it's one of the most important matches of the season, and you're missing it because you have to be in this conference room. And so you're sitting there and you're working, but you're thinking about the game and you're wondering, did we win? Did they win? Who won? And as you sit, someone runs up to the conference room, they interrupt the meeting, and they declare to everyone, we won! Well, of course, then the meeting takes a break, and there's this moment where everyone who's a fan for that team celebrates. This friend who came in to share that good news is an evangelist in a literal sense, someone who comes bearing good news. Now, today in the religious world, evangelists uh, you know, are often known for bringing bad news. Um, I, I say evangelists, and some of you think street evangelists. And they're not really known for uh, bringing uh, particularly good news. Um, this is, uh, yeah, yeah, the photos. Yeah, yeah, perfect. This is bad news. 
Uh, this is hate uh, and anger and an unresolved insecurity, probably, and just really bad theology and bad practice. So while this is what sometimes we think of when we hear the word evangelist, it's not what an evangelist is. A true biblical evangelist comes bringing good news. So today, I want to look at such an evangelist, uh, a, a street evangelist, actually, someone who evangelizes in, the, in a street, um, just to get an idea what this could look like if we recaptured a biblical perspective of what evangelism actually is. Um, so one of the places where we see someone specifically described as an evangelist, someone who's like, I'm an evangelist, is in Acts. Acts chapter 21, it says this, um, uh, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. This is his title. He, he must have done such a good job being an evangelist, sharing good news um, of Jesus Christ that he got this. He was known for it. Um, who it also, he was one of the seven. So Philip the Evangelist. Now, he isn't talked about a lot in Acts, but he does get one chapter dedicated to him. So what we're going to do, a chapter that happens much earlier than in Acts 21. So we're going to jump back to that chapter. We're going to look at this story of this street evangelist, Philip, to get an idea what should evangelism look like. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 8. If you have your uh, smartphone or if you want to follow along on the screen or if you uh, brought a paper Bible, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 8. It's in the New Testament right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have Acts starting with verse 26. It says this. Now, Philip, uh, before we get into that, Philip, uh, he, uh, um, he has been in Caesarea. No, he's been in Samaria, and, and he came to Jerusalem, and he went back, and, and that's, that's kind of the context. So, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So, he started out. I just want to pause there for a second. The Spirit told him to head down this desert road. And I think it's significant how Philip responded. It says, so he started out, as if it was that easy. The Spirit doesn't tell him where, why he's headed down the desert road. He doesn't explain what he's supposed to do once he gets to Gaza or if that's even where he's supposed to be headed. He doesn't explain what he's supposed to accomplish on this mission, what he should bring or whether he should travel by foot or chariot or, or Uber or something else. He, he just says, take the desert road to Gaza and Philip does it. I, I'll suggest right now that, that that's probably one of the first requirements for Philip to become a very successful evangelist. Is he's told to go somewhere, doesn't really know why, and he goes. Um, that has not been my experience of my relationship with God. There's usually a much longer conversation, and I would probably go maybe a month or two later after we've talked about it. <laughs> but Philip, he just goes. So let's continue, picking up at verse 27. He says, On his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandyke, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot. So you see a similar formula. Uh, the spirit led, told him to do something. And Philip does it. This fellow traveler, an Ethiopian, had gone to Jerusalem, you know, probably because he was either a Jew or a Jewish convert, and he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way back, he had stopped and was reading a copy of Isaiah, and the Spirit told Philip to go to him. Now, now notice, he doesn't even tell him to evangelize at this point. He's not saying, he doesn't even tell him, hey, go tell this guy about Jesus. It's not even the command. He literally just says, he tells him, 
go and stand awkwardly close and see what happens, which is probably the next step to being a successful evangelist, is not worrying so much about what you're going to say, or, you know, but just getting close enough that you might be able to enter into a relationship. So the Spirit talked to Philip. He listened, but there's something different about this time, the second time that he said to go. See, I wonder what it was like when Philip had started his journey. Um, I mean, he was told to go down the desert road, and it's called the desert road for a reason. It's not exactly an exciting or life-giving journey. And I wonder if just maybe Philip, although clearly obedient, um, dragged his feet a little. I mean, what was he going to find along this desert road? What's the likelihood that he would even encounter someone? But here, when the Spirit points out the Ethiopian eunuch and he tells Philip to go to him, I love what, what Philip does. He, it says he, he ran. He saw the reason for his journey, and he ran towards it. Now, the Greek word for run is really interesting. I did a little bit of study on it once, and I was surprised to find that it literally means, wait for it, it means to run. <laughs> it's very, very profound, and you might think I'm an idiot right now, but, but no, when he sees the opportunity, he runs, and that's what it means. It, he didn't jog, he didn't skip or bounce, he went as quickly as he could towards that opportunity. I wonder when we see an opportunity, do we run towards it or do we run away? Do we run towards it or do we awkwardly walk away? When we talk about evangelism, I think a lot of people get uncomfortable. Um, I know I do. They're afraid that they will have to go up to complete strangers and talk about their faith. And uh, here we see that we don't have to talk to complete strangers. We just are commanded to go stand awkwardly close to them. (laughs) And, And at this point, that's all God has commanded him to do in this passage. He doesn't say anything about evangelism. He just says, I want you to go down the desert road. That's the first commandment in the story. And the second one, and then God, God, God kind of exits the story, so to speak. He doesn't, God's voice doesn't show up in the story. He just says, now go, go over by them. And, he, and the, the eunuch might have been in a caravan. And so what he's really saying is go join the caravan and then get close to the eunuch. And that's who I want you to, you know, walk alongside with as these people are traveling along the desert road. That's it. In fact, that's where God's command ends the story. So we see what happens. Verse 30, he says this. So he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and, and, and he asked, do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked, Acts 8.30. So Philip runs up to the chariot to see what's going on with this eunuch. And when he approaches, he sees that the guy is reading out of the book of Isaiah. The guy is already reading the Bible. I mean, talk about an opportunity. So sure, you, you might have to talk to strangers, but, but if it's true, um, if, if it's what God is calling you, it might, it's not going to be random. It'll only be because there was this clear opportunity, in part because you were in the right place at the right time with the right individual, and it just opened up. And, and you were able to seize the opportunity because you were looking for it. You were willing to run towards it when it came along. And friends, being ready for opportunities like this is one of the hardest parts of evangelism. So, for example, I was at a new coffee shop uh, uh, this week um, in Clintonville Global Gallery. We were meeting with some people there, and I went early to work on my sermon. I was wearing this shirt that said, love, love thy neighbor, love thy homeless neighbor, love thy gay neighbor, love thy home, uh, uh, Muslim neighbor, love thy... It just listed all of these things. And I was wearing it as a conversation starter, and the barista looked at me and said, I really like your shirt. And I'm thinking in my head, I haven't had my coffee yet. So I get my coffee and I sit down. I spent $25 to spark a conversation with someone, and I didn't, I didn't take the opportunity. So like, this is the hardest part. 
when the opportunity comes, you, you need to be ready to, to look for it. This is what Scripture says. It says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. When you look at the, the armor of God, it lists out all of these armors of God. And, and guess where the, the gospel is? The gospel falls in the armor of God with the feet of readiness. That, this, is the, this is the secret to evangelism, is just paying attention and being willing and ready for an opportunity. And so here, this person, this eunuch, he's reading scripture, and you're like, I want to think like Philip, this evangelist, like, come on. You, I'm sure there's other times where he led people to the Lord, but the one story we're given, it's like too easy. Like, the guy's literally asking for it. He, he like opens the conversation. He, he wants to know. In fact, he goes on, he says, he says, how can I? How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? He's literally asking for someone, tell me what this means. And I wonder if maybe it was just too easy or too perfect, but if I'm honest, I wonder if maybe I've missed similar easy opportunities to share my faith simply because I didn't go down the desert road, I didn't go stand awkwardly close to someone or order coffee, and then I didn't seize the opportunity when it came along. I know for me this week, that was the case. And I wonder if it's the case for you too. So the eunuch is seeking answers, and Philip had the chance to give them to him. But to understand just how significant this story is, and I'm going to pause just for a second. This is in my notes. So at the theater, we had to be out of there at noon. We have this till 2. So I'm just going to throw that out there. So at the theater, I was very careful to not go over. Not, not today so much. So to understand just how significant this story is, we do have food waiting for us, nice little potluck and all that. So um, Philip would, uh, uh, we have to understand how significant it is that Philip would even talk to this eunuch, we need to understand some of the cultural things that are going on. So the Ethiopian eunuch was on the road back from Jerusalem to find answers. Eunuchs were common in the ancient world, especially in the courts of kings and queens, especially when a male uh, servant or, 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 or staff person was going to work with the queen or the women of the royal family. They would be expected to, sometimes even forced, uh, to become a eunuch. Um, so that there would be no chance of sexual misconduct when left alone with the women of the royal family. But the Jewish community uh, did not respect that position of, uh, of the eunuch. And as such, uh, a eunuch um, uh, was forced to live. If they wanted to become a Jew, they were forced to live on the margins of Israelite society. Um, they weren't allowed to participate in the religious life. So the unwritten conflict in the story um, that would kind of be assumed in its context, but maybe we miss it, is in this story, this eunuch had gone to Jerusalem seeking answers. He's like, how can I know unless someone explains it to me? We know he's seeking answers, but because of his status as a eunuch, he wasn't allowed to enter the temple. The eunuch was on a journey to find answers, but because of his status in society, his sexuality, he would have been excluded from the very place he would find those answers. And so he's on his way back, probably more confused than when he came. I mean, he would have had to figure out a way to get away from the royal family to go on this pilgrimage, and, 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 and unable to even enter the temple gates to get his answers, to get his questions answered. So he says, how can I understand unless someone explains to me? And how can someone explain it to someone like me? That's the un, unstated question. So right there, in the middle of nowhere, Philip explains to him what it means to follow Jesus. Actually, I love what he says about it in verse 35. He says, starting with that passage, starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him, and Philip became an evangelist, starting with that passage. He started right where he was, and he became an evangelist by doing so. Evangelists start where people are, not where they want them to be. And that's also a really important part to becoming an evangelist. And so the story continues, verse 36. 
As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of thee being baptized? What a loaded question that someone would ask that. Clearly, in his faith experience, there were things that stood in the way. That's what we see in that question. So he's just making, he's just checking in. You know, so what would stand in the way of me being baptized? Um, the correct answer, which is implied in the text, nothing. Nothing can stand in the way. He didn't have to go back to Jerusalem first. He didn't have to take a class. He didn't have to wait until the appropriate age. He, he didn't have to do it in front of a church. Uh, he didn't have to go back to the Jordan River, which is where Jesus was baptized. He didn't even have to commit to some sort of reconstruction surgery <laughs> to no longer be a eunuch. Nothing stood in the way of him being baptized right there and then. Baptize, baptism could happen in a river other than Jordan, and salvation could happen in a place other than, other than Jerusalem. It could happen right here, right now. And so he's baptized. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. A lot of conversation was happening in the ancient world about what place could be considered sacred. For the Samaritans, it was a mountain. For the Israelites, it was uh, Jerusalem. Um, but every culture had a sacred place where they believed sacred things happened. Um, but this story, in a sense, kind of redefines the idea of sacred places. It suggests rather subtly that places aren't sacred, people are. You know, it's easier for us to view a place as sacred. It's easier for us to set up a worship environment, play some music, light, have lights a certain way, and read scripture and feel like we're in a sacred place. This is one of the things we were looking for in a new location, was something that would feel more sacred. Theater's great, but it sometimes doesn't feel sacred. And this space might feel more sacred for some people and less, depending on your experience of the sacred. But it's easier for us to view places as sacred. And, and that's the most ancient form of religion, set aside sacred places. But Christianity progressed beyond that, beyond sacred places. Christianity believes that people become sacred. Christianity teaches us that, that our bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit, that we become a sacred place, that anyone can become sacred, set apart by God, that, that people are special, not places. And evangelism is rooted in this idea that every person we encounter is carrying the sacred image of God, that every person has the sacred image of God in them and that they are more than important than anything else in creation. I, I say that because when we consider places as sacred, we naturally then start to think about who we should exclude from that place in order to keep it from getting polluted. Including the wrong people. That's why the eunuch had left Jerusalem. That's what the story's about. He left Jerusalem without any answers because the Jews viewed the temple as sacred as they were taught, as God taught them, and they hadn't yet gotten the update. And so they had to keep certain people, and only women could go in so far, and only men could go in so far, and then only priests could go in so far, and then the high priest could go in because it was sacred, and you had to protect that sacredness. But then when the Holy Spirit came, we became temples, and it changed everything. And so right here in the middle of nowhere on the desert road, he could be baptized and become a child of God and become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then from a Christian perspective, this eunuch is now as sacred as the temple in Jerusalem. So continuing in verse 38, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way 
rejoicing. I love this. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. He was better off because of his encounter with Philip. And can I just say that that should be our goal, especially with evangelism, that people should be better off than they than they were because of their encounter with you. That's not always the case. I'm reminded of the story of the rich young ruler who walked away sad because he couldn't, couldn't, he couldn't give up the stuff he was holding on to. And so, yeah, like we present, you know, this challenging life that God in, invites us into and some people will leave sad. But I think our goal should be to leave rejoicingly. Like this was a really positive experience. I think you could be someone like Philip. And I think you can be to someone what Philip was. You can leave the world and someone else's life better than you found it. And that is good news. So here's the last verse. And at first it might seem unimportant, but I, I actually think it's very important. And we'll, we'll end here, actually. It says, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, Acts 840. Uh, sounds like a really just a random detail, but this is actually, I think, very profound. So let's, uh, in order to understand it, I'm going to have to show you a, a map. So let's put up a map on the screen. And uh, here's a map. You've got uh, Samaria and Jerusalem and these other, these other cities that are, are, are difficult to pronounce. And so he, uh, he had started in Samaria and then ended up in Jerusalem. So uh, uh, go to that slide. Um, you can see he had done, uh, uh, gone back and forth there. But then God sends him to Gaza. So he heads to Gaza, but along the way, he, he meets somebody. Um, he, he figures out the reason for his journey. So he doesn't actually get all the way to Gaza. And after this encounter, God changes plans, and he, he, he then goes and he heads uh, up here. So he doesn't actually go to Gaza. And then from there, he ends up to Caesarea. So what's interesting is we know later in Acts 21 that he's now lived in Caesarea for about 20 years, and he's had four daughters, which suggests this. Um, he had been kind of ministering in this area. God sent him on the desert road to Gaza. He ends up in Caesarea. That becomes his home base. That's where he lives. Okay. To get from Samaria to Caesarea is about 47 miles. To get to Samaria to Caesarea by route of the desert road is 150. I don't know if you know this yet, but this is how God works. God's road is not always straight. You know, you know how people will say that, you know, God's way is the straight and narrow. No, no, no. God's way is narrow, is difficult, and sometimes hard to find, but I've rarely seen it be straight. And God just really loves the scenic route. And he takes us on roundabout ways. And this applies to life just in general, all different seasons of life. But when we're talking about evangelism, it's, it certainly applies. That like the route to help somebody um, enter into a, a, a new relationship with, with God and, and is often not a straight route. It's this long journey. My prayer is that you meet someone today, an opportunity arises, and they become a Christian, and then, and then we get them baptized, you know. And technically, in our denomination, I'm supposed to do that, but, you know, I'll just say that. So that's my hope. But oftentimes, it doesn't happen like that. It's just willingness to enter into relationship and to be in a conversation and take the desert route, the roundabout way, with the hope that God will do something in their life eventually, and, and God's the one that will have to do it. So I, I want to end with just a couple of questions based in what we've talked about so far. And then in this series, um, we've been doing something a little different. I've been, one of us has been preaching, and the other person, uh, Lissa or me, have been doing some really practical next steps of what does it look like for us to actually do this as a community. So Lissa's going to come up in just a second and share uh, some really just practical, what does this look like practically? 
how do we share our faith and, and, and share about what God has done in our life? So here are some questions from this passage to help us become better evangelists. One is, and these aren't on the screen, so just listen. Are you willing to follow God's leading? Or do you prefer to do your own thing? So it's just an honest reflection question. Are you willing to follow God's leading or would you prefer to do your own thing and ignore God? I prefer to do my own thing. That's not how I should live, but that's what I prefer. When you see an opportunity to share your faith, will you run to it or quietly walk away and avoid it? Uh, the worst form of evangelism is, is when someone is more concerned with communicating something they've memorized than actually getting to know the person they're talking to. Okay? So will you meet people where they are or do you prefer for people to come to you, for you to have an agenda? Or will you meet people where they are? Um, do you see people as sacred, as having deep worth and value, regardless of who they are or what they've done? Do you see people as the goal of evangelism, or do you see them as a problem, as objects of judgment or exclusion? So do you see people as sacred, as the goal, as the, there's hope and love? And do you leave people better off than you found them? Are you having a positive impact on their life? Just some questions that I encourage you to reflect, and Alyssa's going to come up and share some more practical um, next steps. So um, in this focus series, we, we've identified these six um, prescriptions, thank you, <laughs> um, these six prescriptions that we as a community want to look like, what we want to focus on, and who we want to be. Um, but as I, was, as I was thinking through these this week and the, and the topics that we've, that we've um, talked about over the last couple of weeks, I really see these as um, characteristics of God and how we as a church want to reflect who God is in this world. So let me just give you an example. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about transparency and vulnerability. And in scripture, we see God becoming vulnerable, coming to earth as a human to show us how to live with boundaries and with hope and love for everyone and being in those vulnerable places. And so I see that as a characteristic of God. Um, then we talked about compassion, and I'm sure if you're in this room, you have experienced God's compassion and grace and the empathy that God has had for you to come down and to suffer with us, to suffer for us. Um, so I see that as a characteristic of God. Last week, we talked about excellence. Um, and when we talk about that, when I think about that, I think of God's faithfulness how faithful God has been to us, and we reciprocate that faithfulness when we serve out of who we are, who God's created us to be, um, with all of our gifts and talents and passions. And so all of these I see as characteristics of God, and we are just reflecting God, who God is as a community. And so when we talk about evangelism today, sorry, my phone is like wigging out, and I don't, got to take it to the Apple store. Um, but as we talk about evangelism today, we're really talking about God's story and our part in God's story. So God's story throughout all of history, I mean, he called people like Noah and Abraham and Deborah, and he called David and Solomon and all of the prophets, and he called Peter and Paul and Philip and Julian of Norwich and uh, Teresa of Avila, and he called all these people, he called Martin Luther, and he called John Wesley, and he called all these people, but all these people, they weren't significant in and of themselves. They were significant because they were a part of God's story that was already happening in this world, and they decided to be a part of it. 
they decided to, when the spirit, when the angel came to them, that they were just going to get started. They were going to get out there and they were going to go. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about evangelism. It's not memorizing something. It's not, um, sometimes we think about sharing our faith and we think, okay, I I have to memorize my testimony and it's going to be 45 minutes long and I have it written out on this piece of paper. And it starts when I was five, and I walked down this church aisle, and they were singing and clapping, and then I got baptized, and it goes on and on. But really, when we talk about sharing our faith, when we talk about good news, we're thinking about what is God's story? How am I a part of God's story? Where am I seeing God present and active right now? in my life. The question is not about how you came to faith years ago, and it's not about the history of our church. Sometimes we think people go to share their faith, and they say, well, I go to this church, and at this church, we have these ministries, and we do these things. Um, But really, when we talk about sharing our faith, when we talk about evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus, we talk about God's story and how we experience God's presence in our own lives right now. Um, I'm, I also had a plan to give you lots of questions. So Joe gave you some questions, and I have some questions too. Um, one of the questions that was presented to me, and I think some of us have, have heard this, especially if you've been in a small group here or in a class here, one of the questions that we ask is, um, where have you experienced God in the last week? Can any of you think, you don't have to share, just think, where have you experienced God in the last week? How have you experienced God's forgiveness or grace? How have you experienced God's comfort or hope or support? Or how have you experienced God's challenge? That's the question that we want to answer when we share our faith. How have you experienced God in the last week? Or in the last month or in the last year. So I just want to share, this is something that, um, how I've experienced God in the last six months, almost to the day. Six months ago, Joe and I were on vacation, and Paul was here preaching six months ago, yesterday, January 7th. Um, And Joe and I were on vacation, and I think it was on that trip that Joe really felt Like, God was telling us it was time to leave the theater. It was time to start looking for a new space to have our church in. And so on that trip, six months ago today, we decided, okay, we're going to start praying about that. We're going to start asking God to show us some places um, and to help guide us through that process. And For the last six months, we have been walking into every single building that has a for sale, for lease, for rent sign in front of it in Grandview. Every single building. (laughs) Um, All of them. We walked into all of them. Some of you came along with us to some of those places. And it was at the exact moment that we needed it that this space showed up. They put it on Facebook the week that we decided, that we said we might have to leave Grandview. They put it on Facebook that they were going to start renting this place. And that to me, just like God told us a while ago that that might, that this was coming and he prepared us and he was preparing our community and God showed up and provided right when we needed it, 
right when it was available, this came out. And when we talk about sharing our faith, that increased my faith. Now I know, okay, God's going to provide right when it's needed. God's going to provide the right place at the right time with the right people. And that increases my faith. And when I share that with someone, that has the opportunity to increase their faith as well. Um, So evangelism doesn't have to be scary. Evangelism can be walking up to a coworker and saying, you would not believe what happened. God provided exactly what I needed at exactly the right time. They knew you were looking for something. They knew you've had conversations about what you needed, what you were hoping for. And when God provides, sharing with them that it was God that provided, that is evangelism. Because that starts that conversation, that relationship, for them to be able to ask more questions, for them to be able to celebrate with you, and for their faith to increase, which is all of the goal. So I want to leave you with a couple questions um, just to reflect on. Um, just to, to think about as you're going through your week, one thing when, we, when, we are, when it's brought to our attention to share our faith, we start opening our eyes and our ears more to be aware of where God is than before. Sometimes I have to say this prayer to say, God, would you open my eyes and my ears to hear what, where you want me and to see what you're already doing? Because when my eyes and my ears are open, then I'm more available to what the Spirit's doing and where God wants me. So a couple questions are just to reflect for yourself, how have you experienced God's presence in the last week? How have you experienced his forgiveness or hope or challenge in the last week? And to start talking about that with the people around you. Uh, I'm going to invite the band to come up. And um, I do want to, are we going to do like, okay, you are, okay. I'm just so excited to be in this space with you guys and to have this opportunity. As we walk through these next um, couple weeks together, uh, we're just really thankful that you're all on this journey with us. Help us figure out what we're doing and who we're going to be and who we are in this new space. Um, So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, um, for your provision, for uh, leading us and guiding us along the right road at the right time. Thank you for this community that we're a part of, that we have the opportunity to grow in our faith and grow in our knowledge and our confidence of who you are and who you've created us to be. We pray that as we continue um, this service and as we continue our um, fellowship time afterwards, that you would be present that you would be um, made known in this place and that all of our words and our thoughts and our actions would be glorifying to, to you today while we're here, but also as we leave and we experience you in new ways this week. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.